Amen. Well, the last few weeks we've been talking about some kind of tough topics, and um, the gospel actually is tough. I want you to know that. The, the gospel is this, in a, in a nutshell. It's more than this, but in a nutshell, heaven gave its best and gave everything for us. And Jesus gave his life willingly, left the glories of heaven, died a brutal death that we deserved, paid for the sins we couldn't pay for, and he rose again extended us this gift of eternal life. And so he gave all so we could be saved. And so therefore, when we say we're going to be saved, we return the favor. We say, I'm giving you all so that I might have your eternal life. It, it's, it's a covenant. In the Old Testament, if you'll study a covenant, in a covenant, two people get together and they say, we're going to come into covenant. And usually it was the blood covenant. They're shedding a blood. And they were saying this, basically, everything I have and everything I am is yours and at your disposal should you need it. And the other person says, everything I have and everything I am is yours at your disposal should you need it. And there'd be families that were in covenant. If they were being attacked by somebody, all the family come out with their weapons and fight on their side. So God created a covenant with us through Jesus. And he said this, everything I have and everything I am is yours should you need it. And we're supposed to say, what we generally say is, thank you very much. Uh, and I'm not going to say any more, but what we're supposed to say is, and everything I have and everything I am is yours. But that's not the modern gospel, which, by the way, Paul said is no gospel at all. It's funny because the gospel that Satan's wanted to pervert the gospel since the very beginning. Church is like 30 years old or 20, and Paul's having to deal with all these. He starts calling it a false gospel. And he said, really, it's not even a gospel at all. And the world has an idea about Jesus that's not legitimate either. I mean, the concept about Jesus is this. Uh, he's, I, I, I got friends. We have these conversations. You'll see it on social media. Jesus never condemns. Jesus never judges. Jesus never demands anything of anybody. Jesus never lays down the law or gives instructions. They're all Jesus does is loves, 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 loves. And therefore, you can live however you want, do whatever you want. And I guess just say a little prayer, and God will sprinkle a little Jesus dust on you should you need him, and you're all good. But that's not the gospel. Jesus did demand things. Jesus did say, this is wrong, this is right, this is sin. Now, was he condemning? He really wasn't. Was he crazy loving? Absolutely he was. Did he instruct people to change their ways or go different directions? Sure he did. Now, I want to remind you, Jesus said this. If anyone would come after me, this is what Jesus said, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus said, my words, if you're not willing to lay down your life for me, then you're not worthy of me. Those are some, I think those are hard words. Jesus is very specific about these things. He instructs us that there's a commitment to serving God. Jesus also, there is time. Jesus would teach people, marvel at their teaching. They would come to him in massive crowds. But then there was a time, one time, where Jesus taught very hard things. And you can study it for yourself. The Bible says they left him in crowds. Well, I thought he never said anything hard. I thought it was all just all gooey and warm and loving. He taught some hard words, and they left so many left that Jesus actually looks at his disciples and said, you guys want to leave too. And Peter said, where else would we go and hear the words of life? We have no options. So apparently even the hard words of Jesus were words of life because Jesus came 
one of the reasons he came was that we might have a life and have it to its fullest measure. So we, we see that there's some hard stuff taught in the Word. In fact, let's go to our first set of verses. Um, I, yeah, there you go. I know you think I have them all memorized, but I, I don't, so I need the slide. Thank you very much. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15. Either way, Christ's love controls us. If I look back at this screen, it almost does look like I have memorized. How does he have all these memorized? Since we believe that Christ died for all, this is a very beautiful progression. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died. All died to what? To our old life. We've all died to our old life. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for whom? For themselves. I used to say that's, and I still do, that's a very un-American you know, teaching, but it's actually a very unpopular teaching for any fallen human being on planet Earth. No one wants to not live for themselves. And you will find, as a follower of Jesus, that that'll probably be something you'll have to work on the rest of your life, to no longer live for yourself, but for him who died for us and was raised again. So the goal of where my life gets devoted to and your life gets devoted, this is for preachers and missionaries and, you know, evangelists and, and elders and deacons. This is for every believer. It says, instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So those are kind of hard words. We, we find, we looked at a couple weeks ago, and it's like God built this like sandwich here. He put down this one line that said, hey, don't be deceived, don't be fooled. Those who practice these things and live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he starts listing sins. And then he sandwiches on top of it. Hey, I want to remind you, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he lists things. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about idolatry. He talks about homosexuality. He talks about uh, being abusers. He talks about being drunkards. He talks about uh, all kinds of things in the passage, adultery, you know, all kinds of things. And then he says, we're not to live like that. Now, somebody might say, well, I just don't know that if I can go to heaven because I've done some of those things. Now, it didn't say if you have done in the past because the next sentence, praise the Lord, says this. That's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were made holy. How? By calling out the name of the Lord Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are called to come out of those things and change the way we live. Now, would we struggle with those things at times? Possibly, but we're to change the direction of our lives. That's what a believer does. They change the direction of their lives. So the uncompromising message of Jesus is this. We have to die to self and live for him. But the good news is because when we don't really know Jesus, we can say to ourselves, so you're telling me to give up all to follow him? Yes, but I want to give you some more information. He's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field. I love that little parable because it's just like two or three sentences long. Jesus is just talking. He says, there was a guy who was walking through a field one time and he found this massive, enormous treasure. He immediately went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. And then he moves right on and say, okay, well, let's stop for a minute. So what happened? The guy discovered there was an incredible treasure in the field and he sold everything. Now, after he sold everything, I mean, I don't know, his house, his donkey, his cart, his tools, his pots and pans, his, his, his tunic, his his baby, his shoes before he got to the, to the table. And there's something else I was pondering that this week. I will bet that 
he was anxious to hurry up and cut the deal. You ever have something you think you really want, you think it might slip away if we don't hurry up and get done? I can hurry up and go, well, let's just get this thing signed, man. I want that field, you know? Well, you're, you're a dollar short. Well, here, here's my shoes. Take those. Okay, we're even now. Let's, let's sign. Hurry up and sign. Why? He's so anxious to make this deal. Why? Because he knows what he's getting in return is huge compared to what he's given up. That's the good news about Jesus. The Apostle Paul, who had so much going for him, he said this, wow, once I encountered Jesus, I thought everything I once thought was amazing. I count rubbish, garbage, refuse. One translation even says this, dung, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. I had looked for this. I read it sometime this week or two ago, and I couldn't find who to credit it to. But it said, what a lot of people don't understand is what God takes away with his left hand, he replenishes all the more with his right hand. I thought, isn't that so true? You just picture him taking all of our garbage and rubbish and giving us all this good stuff. He's the treasure in the field. Nobody feels sorry for the guy who gave up everything to get the field with all the treasure in it. And no one should feel sorry for us. Oh, you gave up everything to follow Jesus? Yeah, and it was worth it. And P Peter said, what about us, Lord? We've given up everything to follow you. He said, okay, time out, Peter. He said, no man's left mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, lands, houses, whatever. They won't receive back in this life a hundred times more than they gave up. And persecution. We never really liked that part. <laughs> and persecution. They will, they get more. You get more in the Lord. So there's this amazing level of commitment. Now I want to ask a question and I want you to not answer out loud or raise your hand. Just think about this. You see this level of commitment that we're called to. Have you ever felt like you didn't measure up? Have you ever felt like, hey, I see this level of commitment we're called to, and I see the level of commitment that I'm living, and there's a gap between the two of them. Well, what, what am I going to do? Have you ever felt like, I just don't think I'm doing enough? Back about 10 years ago, we get a letter from our insurance company here at Crossroads, and and I open it up and it says, um, this won't be word for word, but you'll get the idea. The letter says this, starting on such and such date, you will no longer be our client. We are canceling your insurance. Then it goes on to explain. We're canceling your insurance because you've had a couple claims within a certain time frame that violates our algorithms for the kind of clients we want to keep. And so you're canceled as of such and such date please make sure you have other insurance in place. I thought, man, that's crazy. That's, that is the insurance company and the agent, the very first one they ever had at Crossroads. And so I thought, I'm going to call this agent. We, we might have been his first sale because he's still at it like 40 years later. We had to be one of his first sales. So I say, he's going to want to keep this because this is gravy money. Every year, we just keep sending the money. And they keep insuring the building. So we call him. He said, I didn't know that. I'll get back with you. So he gets back with me later and says, this is nice about it. But he said this, yeah, you're canceled. I said, wow, okay. So let me get it straight. 40 years, send the premiums in on time every time. That was all fine. But you didn't like the claims we had. So now we're canceled. Yep. I said, okay. A little side note I wasn't intended to tell you. It was a really wonderful blessing because we had never shopped insurance. We shopped insurance, started saving like six, $7,000 a year. So I was like, thank the Lord for getting canceled. Okay. <laughs> Worked out great. But I was thinking about that. And I thought, I wonder how many of us feel like, I'm 
Heaven's going to send me a letter. I just think I'm going to get one this week. I'm going to open it up. It's going to say, uh, your heavenly accountant has sent you this information. Uh, you have asked for mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness and help too many times. We, you, you rent, your quota's done. You've sinned too many times. I've been working with you for 10 years. You're still gossiping. So as of today, you're no longer insured by heaven. I think sometimes we think, I wonder if I'm going to get one of those letters. Let me tell you what. If you're a genuine believer, now I'm not talking again somebody that, I know I say this a lot, but I, I ran into this about 10, 20 years ago. Everybody was saved. Everybody's going to heaven. Even if they lived like Lucifer's brother, they were all going to go to heaven. And so I started saying when I would share Christ with people, have you come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus? And Because uh, I found out there's people at six years old, they said a little prayer and vacation Bible school, but at 36 years old, they haven't thought about God, loved God, done anything. So I started really saying, have you come into a life-changing relationship? But if you come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, there's no cancellation notice coming your way. I want you to be at peace. There's no cancellation coming your way. So, but I want to deal with that gap today and how to have peace before God, but there's a danger. What I'm getting ready to teach you, the devil will amen if he can bring you to a wrong conclusion. See, he loves to take truth and pervert it to a wrong conclusion. So I decided we're going to make a commitment today. I want us to actually see it. Let's throw it up there. Here's our commitment. I will learn the word of God to empower me to live at new levels of holiness. That's why I'm learning the word of God today. So I can live at new levels of holiness, new levels of love with God, new levels of commitment. I will not learn the word of God today so I can excuse my unrighteousness and be comfortable with sin. See, the devil would love to take you to that point. Oh, well, listen to what he says. You don't have to worry about how you live. So we'll get into that. So the truth is this, and this is the true gospel. Jesus is our only living hope. He is our only living hope, period. Jesus is our only living hope. That's our, everything hangs on him. You might have remembered the old song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Remember that? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Wow. You know what? Jesus is our only hope. He's our only living hope. And any other, any other option and avenue doesn't work. He is the only one. He's our only hope. If he's not our only hope, then it's, well, it's Jesus and I need to make sure I do a few things. But let's look at Ephesians 2. If you've been around the church world long, you've surely heard Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If this is your first time in church today, never been in church before. had a buddy who came to Crossroads. He was here for several years. He came to know Jesus here. And he told me, he said, I've only been in church, he's probably about 30-some years old this time. He said, I've only been in church two times in my life, and they were both for weddings. 
I've never actually been to church service. And so if you're one of those people and you're here today, welcome. We're excited that you're here. And this is a great first set of verses to hear on your first time or one of your few times in church. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from whom? It's not from yourself. It is the what? Gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast or brag. For we are God's handiwork or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. In fact, our good works actually are part of the process, not the only one, but part of our process for people coming to know the Lord. The Bible says they'll see your good works, your good deeds, and they will glorify God in heaven. Why? Because we're living in such a way that they know what we're doing is for the glory of God. So it's not from ourselves. So salvation is not from us. Are you with me? It's not from us. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't create it. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't something you coached the Lord on. It was all him. So our salvation is not from us. Our good works didn't earn it. It didn't create it. It didn't make it. And if our good works didn't earn it, here's the word, our good works won't maintain it. They go, oh, that's dangerous preaching, Tracy. Those people are going to go wild today when they know that their good works won't maintain it. Well, but will our good works maintain it? Because if it does, then the gospel should really be this, that when you first get saved, it's not by works, but after you get saved, it is. After you get saved, it's about you doing everything right to stay in another day. Because if you don't do right, the accountants of heaven are looking over things and you're about to get a cancellation notice. Well, hmm. What does the Word of God say? See, sometimes we may ask ourselves, well, if I don't maintain my salvation by being good and doing good, then why should we care how we live? Now, that question is very revealing. If you conclude that this new information is so wonderful, you're so happy you're here today, you're so happy that you heard this, because now you can go live like the devil then I, I really mean this. I question whether you're a Christian. Now, some might say, well, you're not the judge of me. Oh, that's true. I'm not. But I do have responsibility to make sure that every single one of you stand before the Lord and hopefully knowing him as Savior, those who are watching online as well, that you know him as Savior and not just, again, the made-up Jesus that you want a little salvation dust sprinkled on where you're not going to change or be any different. So, I want you to know the truth. And so when I say, I really am so happy to know my works don't maintain it because I really don't want to love God, serve God, do anything, that's a bad sign of where your spiritual condition is, and you should give yourself a serious checkup. I, I want you to know this. this is, we're talking about eternity. Eternity. I mentioned earlier that I had food poisoning. I didn't, I was ready to go be with Jesus right then. That's how much stamina I have. We're talking eternity. We should be right with God for eternity. And that comes through Jesus and through Jesus alone. And so you say, well, then 
why should we want to do good and live right then? Here's a really novel idea. Because we love Jesus. Because we want to please him. That's why. Why should I want to be good to Darlene, to my family, to you all, to my friends? Why should I want to be good? Because I love you all. Because I want to please. Not, well, man. I mean, if she won't leave me, I guess I can smack her around a little bit today. That would not be good. I, I've tell you before, she's a Kentuckian, so that's never good. Even my mom, as all of us kids got bigger, she would always say, you know, you may be bigger than me, but you got to sleep sometime. That's what she would say. <laughs> I slept with one eye open most of the time. Okay. So. But wouldn't that be awful? Would you think, I, man, he must really love her if now that he knows that she won't leave him, he'll treat her bad and mean and hateful and abusive. You would say, I think you need to love your wife. And that would be the right conclusion. We need to love Jesus. We need to want to please him. Now, I know that we struggle against sin. Now, some people may say, well, that, that's negative. Uh, it's, it's actually biblical. Hebrews 12.4. Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have not yet resisted to the point of dying. It hasn't killed you yet in your effort to resist sin and to live righteously. So there's a struggle. And I know that we're tempted. We know that from Scripture. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. We didn't do so well as Jesus. Jesus did it without sin. So we get tempted at times, and we sin at times, and it can be a fight. But here's my encouragement to you. The fight's good. The fight's evidence that you're a believer. So jump in the fight, get in the fray, put on the gloves. Let's get in the fight. Because it's evidence that something changed. Because I know this, lost people who don't love God are not fighting against sin. They're not wondering, how can I please Jesus? How can I please God? I'm struggling with some things in my life. So let's fight. It's called the good fight of faith. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to go for it. Ephesians says we're going to put on the whole armor of God so we can withstand against the devil's schemes. So there is an enemy of our soul. But our goal is to submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So the fight's a good thing. So if you're here saying, goodness, Tracy, I've been fighting, you know, working on overcoming something for years. Praise God. You're in the fight. Keep fighting. I don't know if you know this or not, but back in the early days of boxing, there was no limit. They fought until somebody won. That's the way it was. Then they went, 15 rounds, and you're a boxer here. Why are they now 12 rounds? 12 rounds? But back in the day, you can you can do some some history on this, and you'll find out they, they went on round after round after round after round. That's the fight we're in. And here's the way it goes. We're going to fight till I win. That's the rule. And they've got some other rules. I already won. I'm already a conqueror. 
I'm, and when I say I, I'm talking to us believers. He said, God always causes us to triumph in Christ. There may be days where you say, man, I got my brains beat out yesterday. Okay, well, we're back in the fray again. Well, didn't we run out? No, his mercies are new. How often? Every morning. Every morning we wake up to new mercies, new power. So don't give up. The fight's good. We will overcome. We have overcome. So in 1 John 3, 19 through 23, we start talking about what about these internal struggles that I have? Well, let's look at this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. That means that we're Christians. This is how we know we're Christians and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So we need to be at rest. We need to be at peace in his presence. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You say, what's that mean? There's going to be times in our life where we've behaved in a certain way or thought a certain thing or did a certain thing where we just say, oh, man, that's so awful. And then guess what? Our hearts condemn us. We feel shame or guilt or whatever. That's not always a bad thing, but I do tell you it's a bad thing when you set up camp there in guilt and shame and regret and fear and anxiety and worry. So you got to shake that off and get right with it and just say, hey, you know what? I, I am forgiven, I am cleansed, I am purified. Hebrews tells me God's made perfect forever those who are being made holy, so I get this life I'm living, I'm in process, but eternally speaking, I've been sealed, I am, I am made perfect in God. And what I want to do, and what you want to do as a believer, is you want that perfection that's in you to work its way out through you. You know that Jesus is, is the Prince of Peace, and sometimes you don't have peace. You want that peace that's in you because Jesus is in you to work its way out of you. And so we work on those things. We may struggle, we may fight, but we are overcomers. So if our hearts condemn us, we know that God's greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You know what the word of God says? He knows us through and through and he loves us completely. Loves us completely. He's crazy about us. He, he believes you're awesome. Uh, we say he thinks I'm awesome. Yeah. I mean, and I, if you've never had children, I, I, this isn't making, wanting to make you feel bad about how, having children, and you probably know this is true. You have a child, and you just think they're awesome. I mean, they hit the ball off the tee and run to third base, and you're che cheering them on. You know, they didn't even go the right way. Why? And they're awesome. Yeah, They ran to the wrong base. Yeah, he's so funny. You know, she's so funny. She's awesome. Everything's awesome. Cause, why? Because we're in love with those crazy rascals. We love them. God loves us. Dear friend, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, I want us to get to a place where our hearts aren't condemning us, or when they condemn, we immediately turn and say, hold it. My heart's condemning me, but God's greater than my heart. And God says this, there is now, 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 now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to walk and live in condemnation. I'm not going to rest in it for even another 60 seconds. I'm going to believe what God says. So it says, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Wow, that's powerful. Oh, but here's the rub. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I knew there was a catch. I don't even know what all God's commands are. I'm sure I'm keeping them all. And I'm sure I'm not pleasing him. Oh my goodness, there's my problem. That's why my prayers aren't powerful. That's why I can't get my prayers answered. Well, the Holy Spirit's smart. And so 
he has already answered your question before we thought it with the next verse. John says this. He says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Wow. You mean there's not 350 commands or 2,000 or 25? No, believe and love. Now, I do want to say this. Real belief changes behavior. It's just a fact. Real belief changes behavior. Absolutely. If you knew I had some inside scoop on something, it wasn't illegal, though, and you ought to buy this stock because it's going to go crazy. If you really believe that, what would you do? You'd buy the stock. You'd say, yeah, I'll do it if you really believe. Now, if you think, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about, then you wouldn't. But if you really believe, belief changes behavior. And so we believe on Jesus and we love one another. That's why the Bible teaches. Let me say this again. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the commands of the Lord are not grievous. They are not burdensome. They are not weighty. They are not awful. No, we're going to love God and we're going to love others. Now that love begins to change us, which is okay because love does change things. And we don't mind it when love changes things. But what do we got to do when we hear the devil whisper, or better yet, shout in our ear, some perverted end to this teaching? And he'll go one of two ways. He'll either say, man, you need to pay close attention to what Pastor Tracy taught today. Ooh, that was, that was good stuff. Uh, and, and don't forget, it's all Jesus and not you. So you go live however you want, do whatever you want. God wouldn't want, to, want you to do anything different and just live your life. You know that teaching was actually around when the Bible was being written, the New Testament? The Gnostics believed that your body was one thing and your spirit was another. And if your spirit was born again and gone to heaven, your body could be the wildest, you know, craziest, sinfulest person in the world. It didn't matter because the near the twain shall meet. They're two different things. You're saved, going to heaven. So if you live like Lucifer himself in your body, they're two separate things. Paul was always saying that is not true, man. That's why we looked at what don't you understand? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought by God, therefore glorify God in your body. But the devil take it that way. That's one way. Hey, just do whatever you want. It's all Jesus, not you. Or he'll take it the other way. You know what? Been thinking about what Tracy said today, and you need to really think about this because you're a huge disappointment to God. You you in fact, he can't hardly stomach you. You disgust him. It's like that horrible joke. This guy was having problem after problem after problem. They looked up to heaven and said, what's going on? Why? I try to serve you. I try to do what's right. I, I, I try to be a good believer. And I just keep having problem after problem. And he heard a voice from heaven answer. And he said, I don't know. There's just something about you I don't like. And uh, I thought, okay. We kind of think that's what God's got to say. No. He loves us. Zephaniah says he rejoices over us with singing. That's crazy. God loves us. He's not disgusted with you. I, I, I want you to know, this sometimes angers people, but I'm just telling you the truth. God loves the vilest sinner you can think of right now. You, well, he don't love sex traffickers. No, we don't love them. God loves them. And we should learn to love and pray for them. 
We should have a heart of compassion and they need to know Jesus. And you know what? Just a little side note. If we could lead all sex traffickers to a life-changing relationship in Jesus, sex trafficking would end. He really is the answer to it. Now, I'm not opposed to anything we do to try to stop it, but I am saying that the ultimate thing is life-changing relationships with Jesus. He's in love with the wicked. He's in love with the unjust. He's in love with the people who hate him. He's in, he, he loves. While we were dead in our transgressions and sins, had no thought for him, no desire for him, and the Bible says, and we were in cahoots with the devil, God loved us. Wow. So what are we going to do? How are we going to overcome this? We want to be at peace. We want to be at rest in our hearts. We want our hearts not to condemn us. We want the voice of the accuser to be silenced. We want the word of God to propel us towards more righteousness and holiness, not less. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do the word of God. Here's our action verses for the week. Revelation 12. Verse 11. They triumphed defeated, overcame him, the him in the verse is the devil, our accuser, by the blood of the lamb. First of all, they did it by being born again, saved, heaven bound. They came into relationship with Jesus, the blood of lamb, by the word of their testimony. I believe that's the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ, as well as confessing any scriptural truth is our testimony. So when the devil says, God's disgusted with you, no, he's not. I happen to know that God's crazy in love with me and he rejoices over me with singing. Well, you can live however you want. It's all Jesus. No, I know this. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been bought by a price, by the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to glorify him with my body, which is his. So we're going to keep having the testimony of the word of God. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, that's probably about being martyred about giving your life for the cause of Christ. And I want to say, probably, I mean, I can't say this for sure, the, the whole climate towards believers could change in our country at any time. But right now, I suspect that none of us, probably none of us in this room, will die because of our testimony of Jesus and be murdered for it. Could happen. We need to be prepared to do that and say, I would do that. But what does happen is you and I are called to die to ourselves. Now, that's hard. I often say this, and it's really odd how we're wired up as human beings. Like if somebody broke into our house and was going to kill my family, they were getting ready to shoot Darlene, I would, without hesitation, take the bullet for her. Now, I'm not going to clean the kitchen, but I will take the bullet for her. Isn't that weird? How we were wired up? Hey, honey, tonight would you clean the kitchen? Are you kidding me? I'll take a bullet, but I won't do that. That's that's weird, but that's kind of the way we're wired up. So we need to die to ourselves as we live, which the Bible calls a living sacrifice. And so we're going to overcome the devil, our accuser, the enemy, by being born again by the blood of Jesus, by the words that come out of our mouth, our testimonies of our salvation and any other scripture. And we're not going to love our lives so much that we will shrink back from death. If I got to die to myself to have forward momentum in God, that's what I got to commit myself to do. To say, well, sometimes that's hard. Yeah, because it's the good fight of faith. We got an enemy of our soul. And so sometimes our prayers are just, Lord Jesus, help. Lord God, help. I'm in a fight. I need your help. And he will help. And he is there. And he resources us. Even when you look in the book of Ephesians where it says, 
put on the whole armor of God, every one of those are resources from God. Not our own armor we create, it's God's. And we clothe ourselves in that. So, this week, let's be at rest. If you are here today, and you're saying, and come the guy you talked about, or gal that gave their life to the Lord in vacation Bible school 30 years ago, or 10 years ago, or whatever, and never had any thought for God, any love for God, any desire for God, any of that, then today's your day to say, I'm going to change that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to truly yield myself to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so today's your day. So we're going to pray. 